Do you know that you can't be a Christian unless you get some things right about Jesus? I mean, if you talk about what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christian, there might be different ways you want to answer that question. But anybody who knows anything about it is going to have to start with Jesus and come back to Jesus and say, being a Christian is about knowing some things about Jesus so that you line up your heart with him so that you follow him, right? And this is what we do all the time, but maybe in a special way on Ad, in, during the season of Advent, we come back and we say, okay, what is it we think about Jesus? Who actually was he? And what has God done through Jesus? That's really what we're doing. What we're doing here is just not, oh, it's holiday season, we'll celebrate the holidays. What we're doing is we're saying, the gospel's true. The gospel is true, and you can celebrate that. And yeah, enjoy everything else along the way. So today, I want to talk to you about honoring the Lord this Christmas, this Advent season. And really, I'm going to uh, hopefully have a, a short message this morning talking to you about why we celebrate and maybe try to remove any obstacles that could be in the way of, of celebration. Because some people don't celebrate Christmas and don't celebrate Advent. Uh, some of us have heard that it's wrong to do so. Now, probably uh, there aren't a lot of us in here who are living that out today, but I want to address it still. Uh, when I grew up, we, we uh, could celebrate Christmas, but not like I celebrate it now, and we certainly didn't do anything for Advent. And uh, so, so let, me just, let me just tell you this. I'm going to give you two reasons why people say you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, and then we'll talk a little bit about the, the import of, of, of beautiful things around Christmas. But uh, two, two basic reasons. One is it's not in the Bible. And the way I grew up was we could celebrate Christmas by giving gifts or uh, gathering with family, things like that. But we couldn't do it in a way that recognized it had something to do with Jesus uh, because that was a religious holiday. And the Bible, this was our approach to the Bible, you know, the Bible says what to do. And I know, I know others of you in here have, have uh, shared this background, and so I know this will be relevant at least for some of you. The Bible tells us what to do religiously or in regards to worship or whatever, and we can't add anything to that. So you, you can do it, but just make sure you sort of... Uh, don't look at Jesus uh, during this time. Don't have a manger scene. Don't, don't talk about that stuff. Just talk about uh, how you love your family and how you want to give presents and spend a bunch of money on people, that kind of stuff. All right, that, that was our, our celebration. Now, some people, and I think some of you in this room, come from a, a more extreme tradition, and that is that you couldn't do it at all. Like, you, know, you couldn't give the presents. You couldn't have a tree. You couldn't have the lights. I think you guys did that for, for a long time. Terry and Becky, I remember something about y'all when y'all first had a a tree in your, your house in Farmville uh, years ago. I think that was kind of a big deal for them, coming out of a background where uh, you weren't supposed to do that, right? Now, that, that seems like, to me, it gets pretty tricky because then you have to say, well, if we're, if we're avoiding everything to do with Christmas, how do, you, uh, how do you actually be consistent with that? You know, how do you, you're not going to take your Christmas bonus from work. You're not going to... Uh, <laughs> You're not going to give or, or I'll tell you this, uh, uh, some people I've, I've known of who have, who have done, they give gifts on New Year's, right? They, they, just, they just punt it a week. <laughs> they say, now we do it over here, but that's not Christmas. Well, maybe so. I, I'm not sure how, how you can consistently really avoid Christmas practices if you, if you go that route. But uh, 
for me, though, and for maybe some of the others of you in here, you could celebrate it, you just couldn't do it. You had to celebrate it as a secular person and, and not make it religious. Now, I want to tell you that that's related to a whole approach to the Bible. And this is just a chance for us to pause and talk about how we're, how we're looking at the Bible when we think about Christmas and we think about Advent. And I, I just reject that approach to the Bible now. We might just stop and ask, uh, why would we think, because the Bible does not say to do that, that we're not supposed to do it? What's, what's the good reasoning that stands behind that? The Bible doesn't say celebrate a holiday, so you cannot celebrate a holiday. And I'll tell you where I think this is related to, from, from those of us who come from restoration movement backgrounds, the Stone Campbell restoration movement, it comes from, from their approach to the Bible that viewed the Bible as a pattern or a constitution. And both of the Campbells, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, they talked about the Bible being a constitution. And God gives us the things he wants us to do, especially maybe around the church and worship and church order. And he identifies these things for us. We can identify these things by reading commands and examples and, and uh, necessary implications in the scriptures that we draw from them. And we find the pattern, and then it's surrounded then by what's called a law of silence. If there's, if there's silence, then that means you cannot do it. It is prohibited by those things. It is prohibited by God's silence. God said everything he wanted. He gave us the Constitution. And then he said, basically, uh, by his silence, he said, don't do anything else. And uh, it might be uh, like the tabernacle, for example. You know, you give all these rules in, in the Old Testament about how to build the tabernacle. And when God gives this Constitution, when he gives this pattern for the tabernacle... You can't just go and add on an extra room to the tabernacle, right? That's, that's the reasoning. The tabernacle is given to you. God tells you everything he wants with it. So don't go, you can't go build on an extra room to the tabernacle. God told you exactly how he wanted it, right? Well, that's true about the tabernacle. But the question is, does the New Testament come to us like that? Does anybody read the New Testament and think it reads like, like rules, a list for how to build the tabernacle? And the emphatic answer to that is no, it doesn't. The New Testament is an entirely different kind of thing. Or, or sometimes it's a, a grocery list view of the Bible. People say this, well, if somebody sent you to the grocery store, if your mom sent you to the grocery store with a list of things to get, I better be careful here. Um, uh, your mom sent you to the grocery store with a list of things to, to, to buy, and she gave you money, she gave you 20 bucks to get these things, and then you bought something else, then you would be violating, you know, what your mom said to do because she she gave you the list of things she wanted right? well the question is why should we think the bible's like a grocery list and is god really like that these are views of how, how we think about the bible and how we think about god is is god like a mom on a limited budget and if a child had leftover money and bought his mom some flowers right if we imagine that as an illustration, we think, if we think of that with worship, we think, well, God's going to be upset uh, if, if we did something like that. But the, the New Testament is just not like a grocery list. Right? It's a different kind of thing entirely. So this, this idea that just because something's not in the Bible, you shouldn't do it. Just because something is not specified, that's just an assumption that we bring to the Bible as we're reading the Bible, it's not something that comes from the Bible itself. It's the way we're approaching the Bible. It's our presuppositions that we bring. And so I, we just need to back away from that and, and uh, realize there's freedom. God gives us freedom to worship him. 
Now, there are all kinds of principles that will restrict us. You know, if you say things like this, people say, well, maybe you're going to start throwing Frisbees around the church building. Well, no. <laughs> there are principles of order and decency, love and respect that guide all kinds of things. But we need to think about how principles might inform us towards further acts of worship. For example, Brother Terry preached about the feast in Leviticus not long ago. How would those principles inform us today? If God commanded his people to gather, to celebrate him, and to remember his salvation, to remember what he has done in the past, how might those principles guide us? And maybe the church had wisdom in the past when they said, you know, it could be good for us together and to remember the great acts of salvation that came through Jesus. Those acts in the Old Testament that where God told them to gather and celebrate and remember salvation, that formed their hearts. Maybe our hearts could be formed too if we paused during the year and entered into in a special way what God has done in Christ. You see, once you eliminate the, this, this idea that, that silence makes it wrong, that, that God not commanding it makes it wrong to do it, then you're free to explore how principles might guide us forward in our practices and that, how they might help us to live. How might commands to, to love God, to rejoice in the Lord, how might commands like that be carried forward? And how might we deepen in those kind of things? Well, maybe through celebrating a season of Advent, maybe by, by welcoming Christmas as, as the story of the gospel in a rich way. Sometimes you hear people say things like, well, we celebrate Jesus every week. We don't need to do it at Christmas. We celebrate him every week. Well, I'll tell you a good test for that. Try that on your wife at her anniversary, your anniversary. <laughs> you know, honey. I celebrate you every week. That's why I have no gifts today. <laughs> That's why uh, I forgot today, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I hope you do celebrate your wife every week. But there's something, too, setting aside special time to remember and celebrate and honor each other. And hopefully that draws our hearts to consistently do it uh, on a more regular basis throughout the year. So that, that's what we're doing. We're looking for principles that will guide us. And so we celebrate this season. We enter into it fully with joy and seeking God to, to enrich our hearts in love for Jesus. Okay, here's the second thing sometimes people say about why you don't need to celebrate Christmas. And they, that's that it has pagan origins. So this came from pagan practices. So here, here's the deal, Okay. The winter solstice is uh, the shortest day of the year. Happens twice in all my vast scientific understanding that I've gained from Wikipedia. I come, I've come to understand. The winter solstice happens twice a year in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. It's when the sun is up for the, the shortest amount of time, shortest days. You know, it elevates the lowest and up, up the, the briefest duration. And this, this day, the winter solstice, has uh, been marked from ancient times with festivals and rituals, and it happens around or at December the 25th. And from ancient times, it's been, it's been celebrated, marked with festivals and rituals, and uh, it has been associated with the, uh, the birth, the symbolic death and rebirth of the sun or the sun god. Now, there's some ambiguity about this. When the Christian practice began, it's not clear 
that people were actually celebrating uh, this, this sun god then. That's just, uh, from what I can gather, that's ambiguous as it is. But let's just grant the idea. It is somehow connected to the time in the past when people have celebrated a pagan day. And they've celebrated or marked the sun god, all right? Let's just grant that. Does that mean we shouldn't do it at all because there's something pagan in the past that's tied to it? Well, if you take that approach, let me say to you that you may have a, you may have a lot more house cleaning to do. If you try to eliminate everything that's been touched by paganism in our world in the past. For example, do you know that all of our days of the week are named after, I believe they're all named after some pagan god or deity. I think Sunday would be the sun god. That one's pretty obvious. Monday's the moon god. Get this, Thursday, it's Thor's day. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Thor's day. Now, are you celebrating those pagan gods, because you call those days by those names? Or if you hang up a calendar in your house with Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, are you somehow saying, well, I'm, I'm just taking this little pagan thing and putting it in my house? No, you're not. Right? Because, yeah, that's where it came from. That's just not what it is. Not everything that starts as something stays as something. And, and there's no telling how much of our world has been marked by things with paganism in the past. Nike? Anybody got on Nikes this morning? You know who Nike is? Greek goddess Nike? Yeah. Goddess of victory or something? Yeah. Yep, get rid of your Air Jordans. All right. If you're going to try not to, not to have any touch, anything touched by paganism in the past. Birthdays are connected to paganism. You know what lighting candles was from? I think it was, it was related to uh, warding off evil spirits and inviting good spirits with those candles. You ready to get rid of birthday parties? And here's the thing. There's no telling how much else might have been touched by paganism in our past. We don't even know. But I think the Apostle Paul speaks to this pretty directly. I'm going to show you a passage in, uh, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 here. This was a context where so much of their world was touched by paganism. And he's talking about going to eat things offered to, to, to pagan idols. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question of the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. Basically, he says, just eat it. It may have been offered to a pagan deity. Don't worry about it. You can eat it. Right? That's where it came from. That's not what it is for you. You're not celebrating a pagan deity when you do that, so just eat it. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's what I want us to think about as Christians today. Are we doing things to the glory of God? Right? Don't sit around trying to figure out everywhere paganism might have brushed up against something from the past and then touched on our world. Just live to the glory of God. Give thanks to God. You're not going to escape a world where there's something that's been touched by paganism. But that's not what it is. Okay, be, be clear. You're not doing stuff like that, right? 
Don't go do things that are intentionally pagan in order to somehow connect with paganism, right? Uh, That's not what we do. But don't worry that somehow something might have touched it in the past. That's what Paul tells them. Just eat. You're free. The earth is the Lord's. And you're the Lord's. So live like that. Look at this passage of Romans 14. I think is relevant to what we were talking about just a minute ago. I meant meant to mention that we're talking about what the Bible says is... uh, uh, allowed, or, or, or does silence prohibit things? This is Paul talking about celebrating holidays. Now, he may be focused on Jewish holidays there, but I think it has a broader application. Because one person esteems one day is better than another, while another seems, esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You see what he's saying? Just, just uh, do what your convictions will allow you to do. Don't do something that's bothering your conscience. Be convinced, but, but it's okay. The one who observes the day observes it in honor to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. <laughs> You see what he does with that passage? It's like everything. Guys, eating and drinking. We're about to go across the street here in just a few minutes, and we're going to eat lunch together. We can do that to the Lord's honor. Do you understand that? That This is what life is meant to be. Not searching around, trying to get the rules perfectly right. Make sure, oh, did that come from pagan? Is there something in the past that I don't need to be worried about? We're supposed to be people who are set free just to honor the Lord with all of life. So even the food that we eat, And if even the food that we eat, we can sit down and say, we're doing this to honor the Lord with thanksgiving in our heart to the Lord right now. That means every single part of our life can be that way. There's no more of this sacred, secular thing going on where you got to go to the temple somehow to get close to being holy. You can be holy while you walk down the street. You can be holy while you're hugging your children. You can be holy while you say an encouraging word to someone in the church. You can be holy while you're doing your work because you do it to honor the Lord. This is the point of life. And we remember this in a season like Advent. We remember that God has come to us and said, you are mine and I am yours. So live for my glory right now. Stop the indifference. Stop the kind of drifting through life. And start paying attention. The opportunities we have right now. It doesn't matter where we've been, how how, how things have gone prior to this. Right now, we have the opportunity to start honoring the Lord with our regular actions. He has come close to us. He invites us to do that. Okay, I want to say this and and we're going to draw this to a close. One more thing, we're talking about paganism. What's actually happened is paganism has not somehow uh, contaminated Christianity. What's happened is Christ has overtaken paganism. (laughs) Now I want you to see what John Chrysostom says about this. Our Lord, too, is born in the month of December, the eighth month before the calends of January, December 25th. But they, the pagans, call it the birthday of the unconquered. Uh, Maybe the unconquered son there that he means. Who indeed is so unconquered as our Lord? Or if they say it's the birthday of the son, we may say, 
he is the son of justice. <laughs> you see what Christendom's saying? Yeah, they can say this has something to do with the pagans. But anything they're saying, we've got something so much greater. <laughs> they may want to talk, talk about something unconquered. The Lord's unconquered. <laughs> they may want to talk about the sun that rises, but we're talking about the great son of God who blazes justice in our world. <laughs> this is the reality that we're living in. And this is not paganism somehow contaminating Christianity. Jesus got on the pagan plane and hijacked it. <laughs> right? And he said, this is mine now, as all the world shall be. And who do you know today that's worshiping the sun god? Guys, please pay attention. At Christmas time, we worship Jesus. Do not let this season go by and miss the opportunity that is placed before you. Let those words penetrate your heart. People are singing them. They don't even mean them sometimes. You know they don't live this stuff, but it's the time of the year where they have to sing these beautiful songs. <laughs> and we claim them, right? Watch these Christmas specials. Listen to them sing. Listen to the songs on the radio. Those beautiful words of Charles Wesley we were singing just a moment ago. I wish I could just quote it all again right now. Israel's strength and consolation Hope of all the earth thou art. Man, it's just beautiful. I, it, we, need to, we need to sing it more and things like that. I, one of my... Uh, oh man, this is the worst. When you start to share something and you forget it. <laughs> uh, man, okay, I'm, I'm moving on. Beautiful songs though. Y'all should listen to them. Uh, <laughs> It's going to come to me in just a second. Oh, well. Uh, here's what I want, where I want to close today. I want you to know that during this season, you're called to worship. These scriptures that we've looked at, that Cole and Philip read so well for us today, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Guys, let this stuff enter your heart. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and peace is just going to keep extending. This calls for worship. This calls for us to reevaluate our lives too, right? Because if the increase of Jesus' peace is to extend all over the world, what should it be doing in the church? What should it be doing in my home? And so we say, Jesus, come. Where there's still an absence of, of your peace, Jesus, come. We welcome it afresh. Can we do that this morning? Will you just invite Jesus to come where there's needed increase of his government and peace, of his justice and his love? Invite him to come. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And this 
is an incredible mystery. God is with us. Do you believe it? God is with us. God is for us. God wants to be in our presence. He wants us to be in his presence. And so we say, Jesus, come. And we'll close by reading to you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. What does it mean that such things are said about the Christ child? Those who want to take it as a way of speaking will do so and continue to celebrate Advent and Christmas as before with pagan indifference. For us, it is not just a way of speaking. It is God himself, the Lord and creator of all things, who is so small here, who is hidden here in the corner, who enters the plainness of the world, who meets us in the helplessness and defenselessness of a child and wants to be with us. And he does this to show us where he is and who he is. And in order from this place to judge and dethrone all human ambition. I want you to notice that line there. What Bonhoeffer says, people going through this life celebrating Christmas with pagan indifference. And I want to tell you that I am much more concerned about pagan indifference than I am about the pagan origins of, history, of Christmas. <laughs> it's the pagan indifference of the church that does not believe the gospel that concerns me. Those of us who can have our senses so dulled to the message of salvation that we treat it as an ordinary thing and we move through this season and then through life as if none of this is real. But guys, for us, it's not just a way of speaking. For us, it's a reality of what really happened, what does happen what will happen. And so we close with an invitation. The last words of Bonhoeffer here are an invitation to us. Hear these words. The throne of God in the world is not on human thrones, but in human depths, in the manger. Standing around his throne are no flattering vassals, but dark, unknown, questionable figures who cannot get their fill of this miracle. get this, and who want to live entirely by the mercy of God. There's our invitation this morning. God coming to us is entirely mercy. And those who can receive it are those who say, I can't get enough of this. And I want to live entirely by that mercy. Will you come and stand around the throne the manger, saying, I just want to live by your mercy, Jesus. That's what Christmas invites you to. When you come to the table today, you're invited to come and say, I want to live entirely by your mercy, Jesus. Praise team, would you guys go ahead and come on up, and I'll close this in prayer. We say thank you, Lord, for this great mystery. We could never earn it. We could not open the door ourselves. It was locked but you have opened it. We could never ascend to heaven and bring you down, but you came down anyway, and we just say thank you. May we receive it in a fresh and beautiful way this season. In Jesus' name, amen.